You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on Welcome the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 548 of the podcast. The Spring America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 22nd. 2022 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody is having a great day i hope everybody's ready for a fun wednesday episode of the air tour sports podcast also hope you're enjoying these first few days of summer don't know where you are but where i am it's hotter than the core of the earth with that said let's get into today's show really fun show uh and we're gonna hit on some topics that i was not expecting to hit on first of all we are gonna lead very unexpected place college football in june how about say it with me now the Louisville Cardinals on a recruiting run for the ages. I wouldn't normally talk about this, but I do think there are some NIL conversations to be had. Not mad at Louisville, but I do think it's interesting how they are being covered versus, say, Tennessee a few months ago versus Texas A&M a few months ago. We will discuss all that. From there, we are obviously a day away from the NBA draft, NBA draft Thursday night. Uh, A few weeks ago, I did kind of the biggest storylines coming in. Today, I do want to hit on one very specific storyline to start, Shaden Sharp. He is actually doing interviews. He admitted that he is the reason that he did not play at Kentucky. And I can tell you this, I think his draft stock is actually starting to get hurt the more that he talks. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll wrap the show. Really fun guest, my buddy Zach Kroll. Uh, He writes for Aaron Torres Online, hosts and produces over at Odyssey. Great college basketball mind, a guy that I really, uh, a buddy of mine, but somebody that I've grown to respect. He kind of came on the podcast during the NCAA tournament. He will be back today. We will nerd out on NBA draft stuff. I figured it'd be fun. Rather than me just go through the same storylines that I went through last week, I'd bring on somebody else. We'd discuss it. We'd talk about it. I'd get other opinions besides my own. Really fun NBA draft conversation to wrap the show with my buddy Zach Kroll, who writes for Aaron Torres online. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you this. If you had asked me, forget a year ago, forget six months ago, if you had asked me two weeks ago, Aaron Torres, what will you lead the first show of the summer with? Second day of summer, June 22nd, 2022. What are you going to lead the show with? You could have given me 100 guesses, and I would not have picked what I am actually leading the show with today, which is Louisville Cardinals football. So the question now becomes, Torres, why the heck are you talking Louisville Cardinals football? And let's get into it. Because right now, there is no hotter program in terms of college football recruiting than the Louisville Cardinals. That's right. Not Alabama. Not Texas A&M. Not USC with Lincoln Riley. Ohio State had a good week. Two five-star wide receivers commit. But nobody is hotter than the Louisville Cardinals right now. So let's get into it. For people who do not follow, this is what Louisville has done over the last couple weeks in recruiting. One, Memorial Day weekend. Many of you may have missed it. You're traveling. You're with family. You're with friends. You're at a barbecue. You're doing whatever. On Memorial Day weekend, Louisville got a commitment from a wide receiver from the state of California named DeAndre Moore Jr. 
DeAndre Moore Jr. was originally committed to Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley leaves. He opens his recruitment. Many suspected that he would follow Lincoln Riley to USC. Has offers from USC. Has offers from Oklahoma. Has offers from Texas. Instead, he decides, you know what? I am going to play for Scott Satterfield at Louisville. And at the time, that felt a little bit weird, but whatever. And then on Monday, though, we got something even more interesting. Now, I should mention, by the way, DeAndre Moore. ESPN started its recruiting rankings in 2006. DeAndre Moore, the highest-rated recruit in the history of ESPN's recruiting rankings to ever commit to Louisville. But on Monday, it got even more interesting. That is because on Monday, the number one running back in all of high school football made his college decision. Ruben Owens, number one running back, high school class of 2023, was committed to Texas, decommitted, offers from Oklahoma, Alabama, and pretty much everybody in in college football. Ruben Owens from the state of Texas. Ruben Owens makes his college decision, and drumroll please. Ruben Owens, the number one high school running back in America, commits to Louisville. And so let's get into it. Let's break it down because I'll just say this. While there are some perfectly good logical reasons for Louisville to get these highly ranked commits, by the way, Ruben Owens, I should mention, in the 24-7 sports era, now DeAndre Moore, highest rated recruit in the ESPN era, in the 24-7 sports era, Ruben Owens is the second highest rated recruit in Louisville history behind only Michael Bush who committed in 2004 and right now Louisville has three top 100 players committed for the class of 2023. Great stat from Ari Wasserman, the recruiting writer at The Athletic. He said Louisville has only signed seven top 100 players in program history. They have three for the class of 2021. And so while there are many, no, I wouldn't even say many, while there is like a logical reason or two as to why Louisville could be on a recruiting run like this, mainly that they have a commitment from the son of Steve Clarkson, elite quarterback whisperer. Uh, His son is a quarterback. Obviously, when you get a quarterback to lead your class, you're always going to get off to a good start in recruiting. But I would say this. There is no real reason for Louisville to be recruiting at the level they are, except for one simple reason. And we have no proof. There's nothing definitive. But say it with me now, and this is not a criticism, but say it with me now. Because everybody in college football is talking about this, but I wonder if it will get the coverage of Texas A&M, of Tennessee, of some of these other programs. And that reason, you know where I'm going. It is three simple letters, N-I-L. We don't have proof, there's nothing definitive, but nobody's really denying either that NIL may have played a role in Louisville's early start success in recruiting. And so for me, a couple, a couple simple things. One, there is no proof that Louisville has, is definitively using NIL to get these guys. Now, even in their interviews, they've said, yeah, NIL is a factor. It's not the only factor. And so it is worth noting there is nothing definitive that says that Louisville is using NIL to get players. Now, what I would say is I've been covering college sports for over a decade. And in general, there's really only two reasons why a, why a school will unexpectedly start recruiting at a super elite level seemingly out of nowhere. One, sometimes you bring in a new coach. The coach creates excitement, creates buzz, and you get off to a good start in recruiting in that regard. Give you an example. Right now, Texas Tech in football has an elite recruiting class. They're like number two, number three in the country. Well, don't forget, They fired their previous head coach, Matt Wells, back in like the middle of last season. They hired this guy, Joey McGuire, former high school coach in the state of Texas. He knows everybody. They're selling the new program. Everything's fresh. Everything's fun. He's got ties to other places uh, within the state of Texas. Texas Tech is off to a hot start in large part. It makes sense because they hired a former high school coach. He's got great connections, and they are having a ton of success early. On top of that, there's really only one other reason, logically, why a school would be off to such a successful start. If if they're coming off a really good year, right? Like Michigan State right now. Michigan State's 11 and 2. Was 11 and 2 last year. They are recruiting like gangbusters this year. Because all those recruits, they saw what Michigan State did last year. Mel Tucker has a history of recruiting at an elite level, dating back to his time as an assistant coach at LSU in Alabama and Georgia. Great season. He's selling, hey, come be the next great wave of Michigan State players. We didn't beat Ohio State last year. Come here and put us over the top. It is worth noting, by the way, Texas A&M, that recruiting class that everybody criticized, which we're going to get into in a minute, 
Most of those kids committed after last season, not this past season, but the season before when Texas A&M went 9-1. And, and so there are logical reasons outside of NIL why schools can recruit at a high level seemingly out of nowhere. Do you have a new head coach? Are you coming off a great season? Louisville is coming off neither. Scott Satterfield heading into his fourth year. Scott Satterfield hasn't been very good. Went four and seven two seasons ago. Almost got fired then. Well, he didn't almost get fired, but it was that weird off season where he interviewed for the South Carolina job and he decided to come back. He thinks he's going to get a, a round of applause on the way back and Louisville fans are mad. And then last year, you went 6-7, and seven. you're 18-19 and 19 overall, and so there is no real logical reason for Louisville to be recruiting at this level, again, unless my speculation is accurate and it's NIL. What I would also say, if it is NIL, good for Louisville. I think there's a lot of Louisville fans that maybe are tuning in or, or, or have seen a, tweeter of my, a tweet of mine and are like, Torres hates us, Torres thinks we're breaking NIL rules. Well, there's no NIL rules right now. And if this is how you're going to go get players, I can't criticize you because I've talked about this on the show a million times. I didn't criticize Tennessee when there were reports that they paid upwards of $8 million for their quarterback recruit in the class of 2023. I didn't criticize Jordan Addison when he, I, I, I was mad when he left Pitt, but if he decided on USC based on NIL opportunities, I didn't criticize him then. And so I'm not going to criticize Louisville. I do believe at some point these rules are going to get figured out. I do believe at some point we're going to wrap our arms around it. Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, has talked about it. Nick Saban, the Alabama coach, has talked about it. Dabo Sweeney, the coach at Clemson, has talked about it. If all these guys think that within the next two to three years we're going to figure out these NIL rules, then I'm going to take their word for it, and I'm going to say that in two or three years we're going to get these NIL rules figured out. But right now there are real, no real rules. And it, in the same way that I said, hey, if Tennessee, if their boosters want to put together some money in a collective – and go get a five-star quarterback and pay him potentially $8 million, I'm not going to criticize that. And if Louisville maybe is doing the same, then I'm not going to criticize them either. Instead, what I am going to criticize is instead the coverage of this whole situation. People think that I'm mad at Louisville or I hate Louisville or I dislike Louisville. No, Louisville, there are no rules. If this is what you want to do, then this is what you should do. Where I'm frustrated, though, is how Louisville is being covered right now, this moment, as opposed to, say, Texas A&M two, three months ago. Because it's easy to forget this now. Because of all the salacious headlines and because of everything Nick Saban said. But as of right now, we have no proof that anything NIL-related related happened with that Texas A&M recruiting class. And in the bigger picture, if you've listened to this show before, what you have to understand, I don't really get outraged about all this stuff, right? To me, this is what it is. I talk about it all the time. These are the rules. This is what's going on right now. We all have to be okay with it. But one thing that I always like and I always fight for is for fair coverage of everything in college sports and in sports in general. Give you an example. All this FBI stuff happens in college basketball two, three, four years ago. Everybody in the media is going after Arizona. And this is, you know, everybody thinks I love Sean Miller. I'm not defending Sean Miller. But you look at the actual facts of the case. There really isn't that much there, but if you turn on ESPN, you listen to Dick Vitale, you listen to Jay Billis, you listen to Seth Greenberg, you think that Arizona's the worst program in the world. Counter that with the facts that we had on Kansas, where Bill Self was caught texting a guy for Adidas saying, you got to get me some players, and we completely give Kansas a pass. Oh, Bill Self, he's the greatest, and Bill Self's a great coach. But if we're going to cover Arizona a certain way, why are we not covering Kansas a certain way? And that is where my frustration is with this Louisville story. Why am I the only one that is talking about Louisville recruiting in a very bizarre way, in a way that they never have before, yet everybody had an opinion on Texas A&M two or three months ago? And with Texas A&M, I've gone over it so many times I'm not going to. But there were perfectly logical reasons why Texas A&M recruited at the level that they did this past year that don't have anything to do with NIL. And remember, there is no proof of NIL, just what some message board said, a post on brobible.com by some guy named Slice Bread. If you remember, we've talked about Texas A&M a million times. First of all, as I just said, most of the class committed right after the 2020 season when Texas A&M was coming off a 9-1 year. About half the class is from the Houston area. Texas A&M has always recruited Houston well. And if you only took the recruits from the Houston area, 
Texas A&M would have had like the 12th ranked class in the country. Just take out everybody else and just have the Texas A&M, uh, the Houston recruits and Texas A&M would have still had a top 15 class. They also took advantage of chaos on the coaching carousel. LSU fires its head coach. They get at least one or two commits that were going to Texas, uh, that were going to LSU. Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley leaves. Their best recruit, five-star Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, I think that's how you say his name, was committed to Oklahoma, opens up his recruitment, ends up at Texas A&M. Florida, Miami, chasing this five-star named Shamar Stewart. They both fire their coaches. Shamar Stewart goes to Texas A&M. And so there were perfectly logical reasons for Texas A&M, yet everybody criticized them, and nobody's kind of questioning Louisville at all. And so I just find it very interesting. That, that, that's the only point of this segment, not to criticize Louisville, not to say they're doing anything wrong. But if we're going to go after Texas A&M with no proof of anything, if Lane Kiffin's going to say, and he did say this, that Texas A&M is going over the salary cap, then Nick Saban says they bought every single one of their players, then most people in the media come to the defense of Nick Saban, say that Jimbo Fisher was the one on the line for defending himself, then I hope we bring that same energy for Louisville. I hope we ask tough questions. I hope other coaches ask tough questions. I hope people in the media ask tough questions, yet it doesn't seem to be happening. And so why is that? It's a couple of reasons, I would assume. One, Jimbo's in the SEC. Texas A&M is in the SEC. It just means more. People cover the SEC more. People cover football more. People cover recruiting more. So I'm sure that's part of it. And I'm sure part of it is it's early in the recruiting cycle. If these two kids are committed, but Louisville ends up with the 28th ranked class, it's not quite the same as Texas A&M ending up with the number one class of all time. But if Louisville continues to recruit like this, they're going to have a top five, top seven, top 10 class. It is going to be abnormal. And I hope people ask some tough questions. Not saying there's anything wrong with it, but if we're going to criticize Texas A&M, if we're going to criticize Tennessee, which did use its collective, according to reports, to get a five-star are we going to ask the same tough questions about Louisville? That's all I want to know. That's all I care about. And that's what I'm interested in. Why is the coverage so different of this? Why is everybody celebrating Louisville? Look at Louisville. I don't know. We're getting two five stars. But Texas A&M, logical reason, signed the number one class. Oh my God, they're the worst program in the planet. So I think it's interesting. I think it's worth keeping an eye on. And we will see what Louisville does from here. Finally, I'll say this. This will become a fascinating story in terms of the season itself as we get closer to the start of college football. Why is that? I think it's going to make for a very interesting year for Scott Satterfield. Scott Satterfield is very much on the hot seat. And I will say this recruiting class makes this season very interesting for him. On the one hand, if he isn't quite as good as we expect him to be, I do wonder... Could this class potentially get him another year? Could he potentially get another season because this recruiting class is so good? Kind of almost honestly what's happening at Texas A&M, right? Jimbo Fisher went 8-4 and four last year while he's making $9 million. And I think for the most part, like Texas A&M fans are like, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt because guess what? He just signed the best class in the history of the sport and we want to see that class develop under his watch. So will that happen with Scott Satterfield? But I would say the opposite could be true as well. If Scott Satterfield crashes and burns, you could all of a sudden have a very interesting group of recruits available in early December if he does not live up to expectations. But I'll tell you this, it is a very interesting story and it is worth keeping an eye on. Will people cover Louisville the same way as Texas A&M? It appears as though NIL is a factor. We have no proof, but we had no proof with Texas A&M and that didn't stop us, didn't stop people in the media anyway from asking some really tough questions about them. All right, great opening segment. Definitely, uh, I think I'm the only one talking about this in the way. Some people are like, oh, Louisville is the greatest class ever. Are we asking the tough questions, though? Are we being fair? I don't know. I haven't seen one person in the media besides me do anything other than praise Louisville for this recruiting class. Forgive me for having some tough questions. So what do I do? I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, speaking of tough questions, We'll get into some NBA draft coverage, the biggest story, I think, outside of who goes number one. What the heck is going on with Shaden Sharp? And I'll say this, Shaden Sharp has given some very interesting interviews over the last couple days and weeks. I don't think he's done himself any favors, 
And I will be absolutely fascinated to see if it impacts him on draft night because I think it might. We're going to discuss that next. Then my buddy Zach Kroll, we are going to talk big picture uh, college, uh, college hoops and, of course, NBA draft preview. So a lot of NBA draft preview ahead. Obviously, Friday's show will be dedicated almost exclusively to the NBA draft. But this is what I would do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, we will hit on Shaden Sharp. Then we'll bring in my buddy Zach Kroll. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, do want to switch gears, and I do want to hit a little bit on the NBA draft. And what I will say is, this is not going to be a super NBA draft deep dive for a few different reasons. The first one is, I actually did an NBA draft deep dive last week on Wednesday's show. If you missed that show, I do encourage you to go back, listen. I hit on all of the big topics on that show. Uh, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, players I like, players I don't, all that good stuff. The second reason is that in a few minutes, I'm going to bring on my buddy, Zach Kroll, uh, works at Odyssey, also uh, writes for Aaron Torres online, really sharp young kid, really loves college basketball. I said it during the NCAA tournament when he was on, I don't know anybody that watches more college basketball than him, and so I think it'll be fun rather than, again, me to do another segment talking about a lot of the same stuff, to just bring on Zach and we bounce some stuff off of each other and we have a good time. We get out of here. I would also mention, by the way, I have a pretty extensive article up at AaronTorresOnline.com that I encourage you to check out. With that said, though, before we get to Zach, I do want to get to one NBA draft topic because I think it's the single most interesting topic. I think it's the single biggest topic. And I will say this. I do think there has been some moving parts and some things that have come out in the last couple of days that have changed this topic as we know it. That topic is Shaden Sharp the kid from Canada, the international man of mystery. And like I said, over the last couple days, Shaden Sharp, who had really done no media availabilities up until about a week ago, he has been talking. I don't think he has said stuff that makes him look good. And I will say, this was a guy that you combine some of the things he said with, frankly, some reports of, of bad workouts and stuff. I do wonder if he is starting to hurt his draft stock the more that he talks. And so let's get into it. Let's talk about it. And listen, I'm not going to give you the detailed Shaden Sharp uh, you know, story because it's something everybody knows at this point. But he was the number one high school player in the class of 2022, elects to reclassify, shows up on campus early at Kentucky in January of this year, and all along in the process, the adults in his life say, look, he's here, he's ready to train, um, he's ready to learn from the older guys, and he will be back next year to lead the Wildcats in 2022-2023. Well, partway through the season, we find out that he's draft eligible, that he can leave for the NBA draft. Uh, he never ends up playing, and it becomes kind of this big mystery as to why he doesn't play. And then after the season, he declares for the NBA draft, and I think rightfully, Kentucky fans have, have a, a reason to be frustrated. It's not blaming the kid individually, 
But kid comes to campus, he trains, he uses the facilities. You know, if we want to get super in depth, you know, like 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 donor money, taxpayer money, uh, he is obviously uh, getting. He was very well taken care of in the NIL space. So he comes to campus, uses Kentucky for everything that Kentucky has to offer a basketball player. And then he bounces without ever playing a game. And so I have understood the frustration from Kentucky fans. But what I would also say is this, is that I, I do believe up until about a week or so ago, I actually did kind of feel bad for him. And let me explain why. If you follow this story closely, and if you listen to this podcast, I know you have because I can't stop talking about this. I feel like I've talked about this kid six, seven times now. But if you listen to this podcast, you know that for the most part, both the reporting out of Lexington and the stuff that I have heard that I have shared on this show is that it's easy to criticize Shaden Sharp the kid, but the reality is, is that everything we knew up until a few days ago was that really the adults in his life were pulling the strings. And so you can be mad at the situation, but up until a few days ago, it was hard to be mad at the kid because... From what we understood, it was the adults, it was a handler, kind of an AAU coach slash handler named Dwayne Washington, maybe the parents, but ultimately, it wasn't really his decision not to play at Kentucky and declare for the draft, and it certainly wasn't John Calipari's decision, and as much as people have criticized Cal over the course of the summer, this is one where I think people have defended him, because again, it felt like the adults in Shane and Sharp's life were pulling strings and making decisions that neither John Calipari, his staff, nor even Shaden Sharp totally knew about. Well, here's the problem with that. Over the last couple days, in the lead-up to this NBA draft, Shaden Sharp has actually started doing interviews. And like, it's kind of like a funny, tongue-in-cheek thing within the Kentucky community of nobody's ever really heard him talk before. He comes to campus. My understanding is I think he did like one kind of short interview by kind of a Kentucky within you know the athletic department produced podcast. But other than that, he had zero media availabilities, and nobody really has heard anything from him on pretty much anything. Well, during the NBA draft process, you kind of go city to city, start working out for teams. And over the last couple days, not only has Shane and Sharp done that, but there, there are then, in many markets, media availabilities after it. So now Shane Sharp is in front of the media, and he's starting to get asked tough questions. And I'll be honest, I don't think some of his answers have been pretty good. And so let's get into some of what Shane Sharp has said over the last couple of days, because I think it might be hurting his draft stock. First of all, I will say there was kind of a quote. This was the first one that I, I, I think got a little bit blown out of port, proportion. But somebody asked him, I think it was on Friday, kind of what, what, what he sees himself as, what kind of player that he sees himself as. And this is the direct quote that he gave. He said, I see myself being one of the greatest players to ever play the game of basketball. Now, like, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really personally have a problem with that because isn't that kind of what every kid says when they're going through the draft process, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I do think, like, I understand Kentucky fans that were like, oh, wait a second, how can you, ha, 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 whoa, 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 how can you be the greatest player ever if you never actually play? So it was kind of one of those, like, palm to the face moment, but I really kind of had no issue with that comment. But here is where it gets very interesting, though, because shortly thereafter, I believe it was in the same press conference, Shaden Sharp was asked about the decision not to play Kentucky. Fast forward, he's asked the question, and you know what he says? He says, it was my decision not to play. And that was like, whoa, that was like, you know, the, 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 the pictures of the bombs going off in the background, the light bulb going off, uh, off, off the top of everybody's heads. Because I'll be honest, maybe I missed something over the last month, two months, three months. I believe that is the first time that he has commented publicly on it. And it's certainly the first time that I had heard anything to do with the fact that it was Shaden Sharp's decision and he made the decision not to play. And so for me, I'll say this. And I'll say this as somebody who has talked to NBA people about Shaden Sharp. I told you this last week on the show. I said, look, here's the deal. If I have the chance, if I'm in that range where I could potentially pick Shaden Sharp, somewhere in the top 10, 12, 15, wherever you think he's going to go, I would have the most intense sit down with Shaden Sharp possible even before this news came out. And what I would want to know is, why didn't you play? 
There, by the way, there are good answers as to why you might not want to play. Maybe you don't want to mess up team chemistry. Maybe you felt like you weren't 100% healthy. Maybe you felt like you weren't 100% ready. Maybe you can honestly lie and say, I wasn't planning on entering the draft, but I had no choice, and I thought I had all next year to develop. There are good reasons that he can give as to why he decided not to play. But to me, like I said a few days ago, if I was running an NBA team, the most intense private individual conversation would be with Shaden Sharp. Why didn't you play? Give me a reason. Is it a good reason? Was it because you're afraid of competition? Was it because you were afraid of hurting draft stock? Was it for a legitimately good reason? Oh, by the way, we've heard rumors that the adults in your life are making the decisions. Are they going to be around? Are they going to be making decisions for you? Is there any way that we bring you into training camp and you decide you don't want to play here either? You're only going to play if you start or you're only going to play if you make the NBA roster. Will you go to the G League? These are the tough questions that if I was running an NBA team, I would ask of Shane and Sharp. And now the fact that he admitted that he decided not to play in Kentucky, that is huge to me. And it had to be addressed on this podcast because it is a plot twist that I could not have imagined even two, three weeks ago. On top of that, I will say this, as bad as that was, it actually got worse on Monday because he worked out for the Indiana Pacers. They're picking, I believe, at number six. And one of the reporters that was there is a guy named Greg Doyle. Many of you may remember him. He was a long time. He was a college basketball writer for CBS, then just a general writer for CBS. And now he works at the Indianapolis Star, obviously covering the Indiana Pacers. And I don't know Greg well. I, I, I talked to him a few times on the phone years ago. Was very nice to me. Don't know him well, but he was very nice to me. But the one thing about Greg Doyle, that guy is an old school Big J. That guy is going to sit in the front of the press conference and ask the tough questions and look you in the eye and not be afraid to ask you the tough questions. And so he asked Shaden Sharp because Shaden Sharp kind of in the answer where he admitted that it was his decision, he said, it was one of the toughest decisions that I've ever had to make. And so Greg Doyle kind of asked him on Monday, he goes, well, wait a second now. If it was such a tough decision, why didn't you just play? And Shaden Sharp didn't really have an answer. And then Greg Doyle, because he's good at his job, asked again and said, well, wait a second. You could have just played, and Shane Sharp gave the generic, well, you know, everything worked out for the best, and blah, 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 and this and that. To which I say, this kid, every time he speaks, he gives me more reason, and I think a lot of people in the NBA, reason to question if you should use a top five, a top seven, a top ten pick on him. Now, some would say, Torres, you're being too tough. He's 18 years old. I understand he's 18 years old. But he's not in the cocoon of high school basketball anymore. He's not in the the cocoon. I'm tripping over my own words. He's not in the cocoon of Kentucky basketball anymore. He is now a professional. And some NBA team has to decide if they're going to commit millions and in some cases tens of millions of dollars to bring him into their organization. And so it's okay for us in the media to ask tough questions. It's okay for NBA people to ask tough questions because he is about to get a big paycheck in the coming weeks. On top of that, I think everything that he says is kind of working against him, kind of making him look bad. And I think when you combine it with some of the other stuff that is already out there with him, I'm kind of hearing behind the scenes that this kid might be slipping a little bit. First of all, I will tell you, I've talked to at least one NBA person. I can't speak for everybody. I can't speak. I don't know if he's been telling people behind the scenes for weeks or months or whatever now that it was his decision not to play, I've spoken to at least one NBA person who was like, yeah, that caught us off guard. We were not expecting him to say that. And obviously, that's a big part of it. Again, why didn't you play? If it was your decision, what was the reasoning behind it? Was it a legitimate reason that you didn't want to mess up team chemistry? Was there an injury we don't know about? Or was it kind of a bogus, I hate to use the word, but your soft or uncompetitive reason that you didn't want to compete, that you were afraid to hurt your draft stock? Those are not the things that NBA teams want to hear, but I am afraid that as they dig deeper on Shaden Sharp, it might be what they hear. On top of that, this is all on top of the fact that there are now reports that as he's gone further in these workouts, that he hasn't looked that good and that he hasn't looked that ready. Really probably not all that surprising when you consider that, again, he is a guy that has not played competitive basketball in a year and a half. I think he played like one high school game before he decided to go to Kentucky in January. He has to play competitive basketball. And it's also worth noting on top of all this, something that I've mentioned before. This was also a kid that even in high school, while the skills and talent was undeniable, 
This was a kid that his motor was questioned. Is he really going hard all the time? Does he take plays off? Does he take possessions off? Does he take games off? Maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. I will say in defensive shade and sharp, I have heard that complaint about a lot of guys, and sometimes guys are just so much better than everybody else they're playing against in high school that it tends to happen. I remember hearing that about DeAndre Ayton for years. Then he gets to Arizona, and he's busting his butt. He's playing hard on both ends. He just needed the level of competition to step up. But this is a question about Shaden Sharp. How competitive are you? How tough are you? How much do you want it? Why did you take plays off in high school? And now you have all these other questions that he doesn't seem to have answers to. So I don't want to belabor the point, but all I am trying to say, I'm starting to get the vibe. I should mention too, by the way, there were people I was talking to in March and April when he was making this decision that said, I don't think that he's ready. That I think even his camp knows that he might not be ready. And I'm not saying that's a bad reason to stay in school if you can go pro. But all this stuff adds up. And I'm just telling you, the more time goes on, the more I'm starting to believe that this kid might fall in the NBA draft. I just, I'm not saying he's going to be pick number 28 overall. But I think there was a thought two, three weeks ago he could go as high as like number five. You start looking at mock drafts. You start talking to people. You start hearing all of these negative things. Now, maybe it's all just a big, uh, what do they call it, a, a, a cover-up, you know, trying to, trying to manipulate people. But if this kid goes 8, 9, 10, 11, I don't think it would surprise me. I think most people on, on lottery night thought he was a potential top five pick. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to bring up my buddy Zach Kroll. <laughs> I just told you a minute ago, you know, Zach, um, Zach is a guy I've known for a few years now. Works at Odyssey. He wrote for AaronTorresOnline.com recently out of college. And when I tell you that nobody watches more college basketball than this kid, nobody watches more college basketball than this kid. I think I mentioned it on uh, during the NCAA tournament, during March Madness. He came on the show, and I said, like, look, there were times this past college basketball season where he texted me at, you know, 10.30 Pacific time, like, bro, you watching this UNLV San Jose State game? And it's like, look, I love college basketball, but I'm married. I wrote a business. I can't be watching as – let me put it this way. I think I watch a lot of college basketball. This kid watches even more than me. I'm excited to bring him on. I am excited to talk NBA draft with him. I will be right back in just one minute. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and AthleticGreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company, they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com emerging. That's athleticgreens.com emerging for one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. AthleticGreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. AthleticGreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, my old buddy. So had you on during the had him on during the NCA tournament, uh, Zach Kroll. So Zach uh, works for Odyssey. He's a host and a producer over there. Uh, writes at Aaron Torres online. And Zach, you know, I I, I hate to brag, but I, I gave you about as good of an intro as I could before you came on. I don't think I know anybody that watches more college basketball than you. And I watch a lot of college basketball. 
So uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's draft season. Uh, you know, we, you know, when you were up watching, uh, you know, whatever Arizona, Washington state on a Thursday at 1130 Eastern time, it was all for this moment right here, man. So how you doing? Everything good? Aaron, what's going on, my guy? Really happy to be here as always. Love coming on the pod. And it's crazy, man. We say it all the time, uh, how fast time goes. But it feels like just yesterday we were here going uh, into the NCAA tournament, previewing that. Now it's the NBA draft coming up this week. Uh, it's crazy each year when you're watching these guys. Time just goes so quickly. And now uh, we're here for the NBA draft. So time just goes so quickly. It's wild. So let's get into it. So, you know, one thing that that I've said, for, so, so where do you stand on this year's draft. I think one thing that stands out to me, I kind of feel like most years there's a clear number one, maybe a top two, like the year that we had, maybe Zion and John Morant, Zion, John Morant, RJ Barrett. This year, I, I get that there's a, a group at the top. I don't think that group is as good as it traditionally is. Like, I don't think there's a can't miss guy. Like, and I said this on the podcast the other day. I mean, you go through the guys that have been number one overall, for the most part, you can nitpick like Kyrie Irving, like people are mad at him now. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, Anthony Davis, people are frustrated with the last year. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not positive that I see any of those guys in this draft. But on the flip side, I do think like picks four through 10 or five through 10 is a little bit deeper where a, a Johnny Davis, who I know we both like, a Keegan Murray, who I know we both like. I think those guys, Ben Matherin from Arizona, those guys I think are pro I think that second group is better than usual. I'm not sold as much at the top. Just in general, when you look at this group overall, what do you what do you think about this group? So I do agree in the sense that there isn't that obvious top uh, can't miss guy at the top of the draft like a Zion or even a John Morant. But I will say when you look at Jabari Smith and Paolo and Chet Holmgren, I do think those guys are capable of being first options on a playoff team in the NBA. And I agree with you also about the five through 10, five through 15 range. I think there are a lot of really good players and I think it's a deeper draft than most years. I think there are going to be guys towards the back end of the first round that get drafted, especially going to winning teams that have that late draft pick that I think could make an impact. I think it's a deeper draft than usual. And at the top, even though there may not be that one can't miss guy, there are some still really solid options. Kind of the lottery, you and I went back and forth. Uh, we wrote up a little piece for um, for Aaron Torres online. You had you believe Jabari Smith should go one, um, or you did at the time. Do you do you still think if if you were the Orlando Magic, if they were calling up Zach Curl to consult on the first overall pick, would Jabari still be your guy? I think he would just because they need a shot maker, a bucket getter. And for Jamari, for Jamari Smith, I think he find he kind of fits the mold of the best of both worlds where he could go get his buckets. He has a great jump shot and he's also 6'11 and could really be a threat in the paint as his game matures. And as he gets older, he's still obviously uh, super young after only spending one year at Auburn. And I do think that his floor is probably the highest of any of the top three prospects. I know you're a Paolo guy and you like the argument of saying, oh, you know, you put him on any team really in the NBA right away and he'll be able to get his buckets. And I agree with that. But I just think Jabari Smith in a league now in today's game where you need to be able to make shots from the perimeter, Jabari really fits that bill. And with Paolo, like I know his three-point shot is all right. He shot about 30% from three, but I don't know if I could count on that uh, long-term. And I just think Jabari is the better shooter, also has the big size, and that's why I would favor him. My counterpoint to that would be if your argument is Paolo shot about 33 34% this year compared to Jabari Smith about 44 45%, the counter is do you think Jabari can create his, his own offense? Because that's my concern is that – you look at at some of the stats, and I'm you know me, I'm not an advanced metrics Ken Palm guy, but you know less than one offensive rebound per game. Um, about half of his shots, a little under half of his shots, about 40, 45 percent of his shots were beyond the three point line. And I do worry: is he a complete three level scorer? And I do worry: can he create his own shot? Is he a catch and shoot guy? Uh, that's great if it's your seventh guy and it's Jordan Poole, and and you know you need him for ten minutes. It's another thing if, as you said. You need him to be a face of a franchise, a guy that's a number one option on a playoff team. Does that concern you at all? Because that's my big thing with Jabari. I, I don't question, like, the guy's skilled. He's super young. He's I, one of the two or three youngest players in this draft. I just worry, like, is he a great scorer or is he a great three-point shooter? 
And if he's just a great three-point shooter, will he eventually evolve into a player that can, can become a great scorer? Because as we know in the NBA, obviously, people figure out your strengths, your weaknesses, all that stuff. They take away what you do well, and you got to be able to score a number different. Yeah, it's interesting because that's been a big flaw of Jabari was his inability to get to the rim, but he still shot really well from three off the catch and off the bounce, which is a really encouraging sign. And I think the hope is if you're Orlando, I know they haven't had a lot of success over the past decade, but you need to surround him. If he's the face of your franchise guy, you're taking at number one with the right guards. I know they drafted Jalen Suggs. They have a really good uh, wing in Franz Wagner who played great this year. They just hired a, a new coach last off season. So I think that's the hope with Orlando and with Jabari, I think last year he didn't necessarily need to get to the rim because he was so good off the catch and, and off the bounce. And I'm intrigued also if you put him with better guards, unlike Auburn had last year, and you get him a little bit more help, how, how would that work? That's a big topic of conversation, those Auburn guards. I, I've said, and you mentioned it already, I, I would go Paolo Lunge only because I just think the Magic are a little bit of a different deal. They, they, you know, the stat that I keep throwing around, they haven't won a playoff series since 2010. They've won two total playoff games, period, since 2010. I will go with Paolo, but whatever. What about Chet? And I'll say this on Chet really quick. You know, I had a chance to see him back-to-back games in Vegas uh, in November. And the first game against UCLA, he was awesome. Uh, I don't remember exactly now. 16 points, eight rebounds, two three-pointers made, five, six blocks, whatever. About two, three nights later, they played Duke. And if you just look at the stat sheet, it looks the same. But Mark Williams was defending him, you know, seven-footer, the kind of guys that he'll see every night in the NBA. Um, His shooting percentage went down. He didn't make a three-pointer. He was in foul trouble. We saw Arkansas attack him in the NCAA tournament, and and he struggled kind of with that attacking offense. Where are you with Chet? You know, my kind of hot take on Chet is, like, I have no hot take. I I see – the tools. I see seven feet. I see a really good three-point shooter as well, but I also understand it could be a two, three, four-year process before he's really productive. Can he put on weight? Uh, I did radio the other day with Ryan Hollins, a seven-footer himself. He said, can he put on strength, not just weight? It's not just the pure pounds, but the strength to compete 82 nights a year. Where are you at on Chet on this one? So I agree with you in the sense that it's definitely going to take him some time in the league to be successful. I don't think he's going to be a guy where you just plug and play right away and expect him to succeed. And I think it's interesting at his ceiling, if all goes right, I do see a scenario where he could be the best player in this draft. But when you look at the teams drafting in the top five, it's never a hundred percent sure that they're going to be able to get the best out of a guy like Chet. And for that reason, I would take both Jabari and Paolo over him with the top two picks. Uh, I do think there is a chance he might slide. Like some people expect him to go top three, most people I would say, but I do see another world where some GMs look, it's like, all right, I know we're picking early, but we want to win as soon as possible. And if you put this, if you can't put this guy uh, in our starting lineup right away, that could be a bit of a concern. I, I thought he had his moments at Gonzaga last year. He also had some really bad moments. But at the end of the day, I think the situation and the scenario he ends up in is going to be key to his development. I have a buddy who's a big uh, NBA draft guy. He actually used to work at FS1 with me. And, you know, he pulled up a pretty interesting stat, not really a stat, but kind of a trend maybe, that if you look at, at most years where there's a clear top two, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case this year, usually one ends up pretty good and one ends up being a bust. Uh, You know, Kyrie Irving, the year that he came out, number two pick was Derek Williams. Derek Williams obviously didn't make it. Um, You know, uh, uh, Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's obviously been an all-timer. Greg Oden unfortunately had injuries. Uh, Anthony Davis and and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, we all loved MKG at Kentucky, but wasn't a very good NBA player. We'll see if Zion ends up being the bust between him and John Morant. If you had to pick one, and I think I know where you're going to go, out of out of Jabari uh, Jabari Smith Jr. or Chet Holmgren, that which one do you think is more likely to like can't miss in or which one? Either way, do you think one is more likely to be a bust? Do you think one's more likely to be a star? What where are you at on that? Yeah, I hate to say it, but I think I I think Chet being a bust would be the most likely scenario out of any in that group, just because. 
development is never a sure thing. There, we've seen plenty of guys over the past couple of years come into the NBA and really the, the sell is their development. And whether they don't end up in the right situation or it just doesn't work out, nothing is a guarantee. And with Chet Holmgren, he's a guy that has a skill set and some abilities that none of us have ever seen before. But at the same time, I just don't know if he's going to be able to make it in the NBA right away going up against some of the bigger bodies uh, on an inside and outside basis. So I would say Chet is the most likely scenario. I think Jabari has a pretty high floor. I think Paolo does as well. But in terms of Chet's floor, that's definitely the lowest, which is where my concerns are. Yeah, the one thing I'll say with Chet, and I might have said this on the show a few weeks ago, but, you know, to me it's almost the reverse Zion, where when Zion came out, there was this assumption well, once he gets into an NBA weight program and once he gets on an NBA training program, he's going to lose all that baby fat. And I was like, wait a second now. Duke's got a pretty good strength and conditioning program. Duke's got a good nutrition program. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that it's better than some NBA teams. They just invest. They care about their players. That You know, that's what Duke sells, right? We're the best pathway to the NBA. You know, Kentucky sells the same, Memphis, Arkansas, whatever. But I, you know, I never understood that argument with Zion, and it's almost the reverse with Chet Holmgren. It's like, well, you know, just wait till he gets to the NBA. You know, he's going to – he'll he'll put on 30, 40 pounds that he needs to. And it's like Gonzaga's got a weight program too. Uh, they got a weight room, and they're probably feeding him 10,000 calories a day too. So, you know, I, I would actually – I don't really know. I, I, I It's weird because I like to – everything I do, I like to come on, strong opinions, take a side. This, both of these guys, I just really – I can see why people like them. I can see why people are concerned, et cetera. want to go. So I want to go in a different direction. So you and I uh, pretty much all year have been on the same page about Jaden Ivy, the guard out of Purdue. Um, and I think, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, you, what I would say is I think both of us at times thought that he kind of coasted at times we sat there and said, if you're a top five pick, you got to take over games, especially as a sophomore. It's one thing, you're Jabari Smith, you're a freshman, you're trying to fit in with the older guys, blah, 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 blah. Jaden Ivey was a sophomore. He had been there. He was the guy. Uh, disappointing effort in the NCAA tournament, disappointing effort against St. Peter's in a winner go home game. He can't take over a game, you know, to quote J.J. Redick against a bunch of uh, plumbers and uh, mailmen or whatever, J.J. Redick. You know, it's like the, the St. Peter's guys are not NBA players like that, you know, and so that's where I think you and I were a few months ago. I have kind of over time flipped on Jaden Ivey. I could see, I, I still have concerns. I still do think he coasted at times. I also do like wonder how much of this is on Matt Painter because he's one of the few guys, not only does he play a, a true center back to the basket, run the offense through the high post, he sometimes plays two seven footers on the court at the same time. And if you watch them, and I know you did, but I'm saying as a metaphorical, you, if you watch Purdue, it was a lot of Jaden and Ivy dumping the ball to a seven footer. And so, you know, one, it's funny because you and I talk all the time about, you know, John Calipari gets blamed for everything. And when somebody like Tyrese Maxey is really good in the NBA after not being great at Kentucky, everyone's immediately, Oh, you know, Cal didn't know how to use them. I kind of think Matt Painter might not have known how to use Jaden Ivey was too, too loyal to his system. And I'll also say like, I've just seen the guy that has all the crazy physical tools and I've kind of been like, well, you know, I don't know. And then they step into the NBA and I'm awesome. So one, are you still on, are you still out on Ivy? Do you, it, it does my argument for him or my argument on why my opinions changed a little bit, at least make some sense. Yeah, I think it totally does. And I think throughout the season, when I said I was out on Ivy, I do see a scenario where maybe I was just out on Purdue. Because if you remember, very early on in the season, uh, they played in that uh, tournament at Mohegan Sun. They came away with some impressive wins over North Carolina and Villanova. And Ivy had some flashes in those games. And really from there, his stock just kept on going up and up and up throughout the season. And for me, when it comes to a guy like that, sometimes I'm a little cautious. Uh, but Ivy, in the open floor, he could be a great player. And at Purdue, he didn't always have the opportunity to do that, to speed it up. 
Uh, they always did play through their big man, Edie Williams, whoever was on the floor. And I do think there is a scenario where he could be the best player in the draft because he is the top guard. I know he's not a true point guard, but he has that athleticism. He has that speed in the open floor. And I'm, I'm curious to see what he does look like in an NBA system. We've had this conversation about Big Ten teams, not only Purdue, but how they kind of play that old style of basketball that hasn't been very successful during March Madness. And that St. Peter's game does still leave a bitter taste in my mouth. But at the end of the day, it's one game. We've seen plenty of prospects over the past decade plus have bad NCAA tournament games, but then tear it up in the NBA. Andrew Wiggins, James Harden come to mind. So uh, I do think a team looking for that dynamic lead guard with the athleticism, Ivy does check all the boxes. And I do feel better about him now than I did a few months ago. Absolutely. One guy in the top 10, 12 that you think not enough people are talking about. That's a really interesting question. The first name that comes to mind for me, and he's projected to go a little later than the 10, 12 range, maybe around 15, 20, is uh, Malachi Branham from Ohio State. Uh, The reason why I'm so intrigued by him was because very early on in the season, he he was very passive. Ohio State was obviously running the offense through EJ Liddell, who was going to be a first round pick in this draft as well. But Branham, he... He was slow to come on, but as Ohio State hit Big Ten play, he just kept on getting better and better and better, and he averaged 20 points in his last 10 games, including going off against Villanova in the NCAA tournament there uh, around a 32 game. He was the best player uh, on the floor in that game, and I do think he's so young. He's only 18 years old. He is great in the mid-range. I think that three-point jump shot is going to get there with really good size, and the thing that makes me so intrigued by him is he's probably going to go in that 15 to 20 range to a team that's not terrible, and if he finds that right fit, I could definitely see him being a surprise guy that's playing uh, big minutes in the playoffs next year. He was a guy you just turn on a lot of, a lot of, as we said, Big Ten games. He just looked like an NBA player playing college basketball. I mean, you know, we know the Big Ten. We know a lot of the body types, you know, big centers, slow guards. And he was just a six, 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 seven wing, super long arms that just looked like uh, just looked like he, you know, was he, he was just given natural gifts that nobody else was. Kind of in the same vein, what about Johnny Davis? And I'll just say this with Johnny Davis, and I said it on your radio show the other day when I came on. You know, I, it's weird to me because the NBA, Johnny Davis guard Wisconsin, I think everybody knows, runner-up to Oscar Sheboy for National Player of the Year. Most of these guys, um, most of these guys are, NBA teams start really kind of evaluating them and talking about them, uh, you know, and, and learning about them, I should say, not really talking about them, learning about them you know, sometimes as early as 15, 16 years old, Johnny Davis, a little bit of a late bloomer, Johnny Davis got hurt in the most crucial games. And he's a guy, I swear, man, I I really truly believe that um, he gets hurt right before the big 10 tournament. He doesn't play the final regular season game, gets hurt right before the big 10 tournament struggles in that game, uh, goes to the NCAA tournament. They beat LSU in round one. Nobody's paying attention because Will Wade just got fired And then round two, he really struggles against Iowa State, again, playing on basically a bad ankle. And I think if he's healthy, I think Wisconsin probably beats Iowa State. They're in position to potentially go to the Elite Eight. They would have had Miami in the next round. And we're looking at him as a completely different draft prospect. So I just think it's weird that you spend sometimes four or five years identifying a guy and all of a sudden, you know, it's the last two or three games in some cases that really matter more than they should I, I, you know, I'm seeing most mock drafts, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. I think if he if he's plays and he's healthy and he's playing in the NCAA tournament at full strength, we're potentially talking about him right at the head of that next group after that top four of Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paolo, and, uh, and Jaden Ivey. I agree. And also it's crazy because how many times have we seen players just make a crazy run during March Madness and their NBA draft stock keeps going up. That easily could have been Johnny Davis. And to your point about their path, like they would have eventually played Kansas, the eventual national champion. So who knows what would have happened there, but I've been a Johnny Davis fan for a while. You know that he always was down to just go get buckets and take the grab the bulls by the horn for Wisconsin. He was never afraid of the big moment and they won the big 10 championship going through him. They weren't always 
the best offensive team and he was always there to deliver a really good size. Uh, he could shoot it. I think that three point shot is going to have to improve, but his jump shot is nice. I think it will keep on getting better and better. And uh, I agree. He would definitely be a guy I would take in the top 10 kind of to our point uh, made earlier when we first started in that five to 15 range, it's deep. I think there are a lot of really good players from Johnny Davis to Keegan Murray to uh, Ben Matherin, like any of those guys, if I get them in the first round, like I'm feeling pretty good. Ben Matherin's a guy I like a lot. I think I've talked about it on this podcast, but, you know, I remember talking to somebody on Arizona's previous staff before Sean Miller was fired, and he was a guy that could have been drafted last year, and I remember talking to somebody and asking him, you know, is he going to go pro? Like, what, what do you guys think? And they were like, no, he knows he's not ready. He, he wants to come back. He wants to develop. And for him to come back and be an All-American, it's one thing to say you want to do all that stuff, but to come back, to give up on the NBA for a year and to get better. And by the way, credit to Tommy Lloyd and, and the new staff at Arizona, because they really, I thought, did a great job kind of letting him uh, do what he does well. What about a guy, I mentioned guy that you like more than most. Give me a name that you actually are a little bit more down on than a lot of guys, than a lot of people are, are, are talking right now. Yeah, the guy for me would be A.J. Griffin from Duke, and I really liked him uh, throughout the season, and I think he had some really nice moments. I just question his health, and after the knee injury he suffered going into last season, I just don't know if that burst and athleticism is still there. He, he has really good size and can shoot the basketball, which will give him a nice career in the NBA, but I don't know if that would be a guy that I'd be willing to invest a top 15 pick in, knowing the injury history and just seeing. Uh, I just question if that athletic explosiveness is still there but going back to Ben Matherin for a quick sec I agree with you 100% I could see a scenario where he is one of the better players in this draft like maybe even the third best player behind uh, Paolo and Jabari just because he's experienced that's a box checked right there I like how he played for an offensive minded head coach in Tommy Lloyd this year but a defensive minded head coach in Sean Miller during his freshman year and I think he's really versatile and balanced his game is on both ends of the floor he also in the NCAA tournament last year like Arizona was down three points to TCU uh, in the last 10 seconds. And there was no doubt who was taking that final shot of regulation. Matherin cashed the three and he was just never afraid of that big moment. I love him in this draft. One of my favorite players in this draft. And I, I would take him in the top five. I really would. I think he's going to be a big time player. Two things. One, it's funny that you say that he's a veteran because he's a young 19. And I think sometimes people who cares, what's the difference? Well, I mean, He's younger than Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren just by date of birth, like is older than him. And it goes back to kind of the Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren thing at the top. If you're giving me both of them right now, you can make a case for either. But if you really think about it, imagine if Jabari Smith had been in high school this year and was coming in and playing college basketball next year, how scary that would be. Uh, the other thing with Matherin, um, you know, you said it could be a top five pick. I'd love to see him in Detroit with Cade Cunningham and Sadiq Bay and like those young guys. Cause I think he's part, he's got like that mindset of, you know, veteran guy, killer, two way, defends, you know, and like I, I really think, you know, I said this a few days, a few weeks ago. You look at a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, they go from, they, they draft Ja really bad his rookie year. Second year, they're, you know, they're in the play-in game. Uh, no, second year play-in game, third year play-in game. And then this year, they just blow up, and they're awesome. It might have even been first year play-in game, second year play-in game, third year, they're just awesome number two seed. Detroit, I think if they hit this, this pick right, they could be that next team where you're, they're on the fringe of the playoffs, and then all of a sudden, they're like the three seed in a couple of years. So just something to think about just because – I love Cade Cunningham, and I'm curious to see what they do with this pick. Uh, I think I asked you, did I ask you a player that you don't like? What was the – oh, A.J. Griffin. Okay, so what I was going to say on A.J. Griffin, here's my thought on A.J. Griffin. I don't think we know what he is. And that that was my one of my takeaways last week when I kind of did my, my 10 biggest questions. On the one hand, so this is a kid that was at Duke. Now he's another one. He's a super young kid. He's, he's August of – of 2003 was I'm looking up all these birthdays the last couple of days just to get age range. He arrived at Duke as a 17 year old played his entire season as an 18 year old. He won't even be 19 until uh, until August of this year. And you, you mentioned it missed an entire high school season with injuries. Then his senior season was lost to COVID 
Then he gets hurt at Duke, and he comes back, and everybody's role is kind of established. He still ends up shooting 45% from three, but he doesn't really do anything else. More than half of his shots were from three. And so I sit here and I say, is he just a three-point shooter, or did we just not get to see what he's capable of doing because Duke was awesome, um, because that was the role they needed him to play and because he was really good in that role. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm curious on him. And uh, I think he's, to me, the most interesting player in this draft. We'll get you out of here on this. Uh, one, is there like a big topic, like anything big that you think that we haven't hit on yet? Um, not in particular. I think going back to Jaden Ivey, there is a lot of rumblings about the Kings possibly trading yeah. that number four pick. I know the Knicks um, in New York have been very active trying to give up. Uh, Obi Toppin's name has been in the mix, a bunch of other first round picks. And I'm curious to see if other NBA teams value uh, Jaden Ivey as highly as we might, uh, and if they're willing to trade up together. Well, it's interesting because I have some buddies in Sacramento and it's a big topic right now is that they basically, everyone in the organization has an edict. We got to make the playoffs next year. And so it becomes one, do you trade the pick? Two, are you, are you willing to take, a player that kind of already is similar to the best player, or certainly the highest paid player that you have in De'Aaron Fox. Can they play together? Is it a situation where you draft both and maybe if it doesn't work out, you trade De'Aaron Fox. So that to me, I think is the most interesting spot in the draft in terms of outside of number one, um, you know, where the draft could go in a lot of different directions. Last one, um, late first round, early second round, give me a player uh, that intrigues you, maybe somebody that not a lot of people are talking about? Uh, yeah, this is another one where there are a lot of options. W one name that comes to mind for me is Jake LaRavia from Wake Forest. I know you were uh, big fans of Steve Forbes and everything that uh, he did over there in Winston-Salem this past year, but I just think his game really fits the modern-day NBA well. He has really good size, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, could really space the floor, could really shoot it, and it's no coincidence when you play at Indiana State one year, transfer to Wake, and then the next all, uh, next year, all of a sudden, you're debatably a first-round pick in the NBA. Uh, he really improved throughout the season as well, and I just think his game fits uh, the modern-day game perfectly, Jake LaRavia. Yeah. Yeah. I like Jake LaRavia. I'll go with, uh, you know, I'll say Tyrese Martin. That's my guy right there. Six foot six, seven and a half rebounds per game as a, as a guard can defend, doesn't need the ball in his hands. I just, I, I really like that kid and that's the one. So, all right, Zach Curl, I will let you go. I will let you out of here on this. Make sure you're following Zach on Twitter at Zach Curl underscore Z-A-C-K-R-U-L-L -L underscore. Uh, he writes for me over at Aaron Torres Online. Uh, he also, in addition to uh, writing, works for Odyssey, hosts and produces over there. Uh, and he's going to be doing a lot of stuff with us next year as we start to ramp up already for college basketball. John Rothstein puts out the days. Ever. I think we're down to like 130 days to college basketball or something. So it's coming quick. Uh, I appreciate the time, Zach. And uh, yeah, man, we'll be talking quite a bit once once College Hoop starts to roll around, all right? Yeah, Aaron, thanks, my man. We'll always uh, love being here. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Appreciate you, Zach. I appreciate everybody listening. I will be back on Friday, NBA Draft Recap, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.